Welcome to the Bike Pack Adventures Podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike travel. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world, hear fantastic stories of their journeys. Through both mine and my guests' experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike travel and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. I want to thank Panorama Cycles, Redshift Sports, Restrap, Race Day Fuel, and Brockman Cyclery for supporting Bike Pack Adventures and helping to keep me on the bike. Check out the show notes for more information about these amazing companies. Thanks and keep on pedaling. Hey, welcome back to the Bike Pack Adventures podcast. Uh, things here, things here in Canada. It's it's re- it's weird, man, in, in this part of the country. It is the end of January, which usually is bitterly cold. And I think the last few days have been hovering around, you know, zero to minus five Celsius. So really, really warm in the grand scheme of things. Um, so it's been really fun. I, I'm starting to feel better from COVID. I'm not, I don't have that death feeling as much anymore. And, um, or just that lack of energy after doing anything exercise wise. And so this past Saturday, I was able to get out for a good hour and a half of riding time. So maybe about two hours total, um, fat biking, which was a blast as always. And, uh, I started off by taking my dog for a little loop and then I went off on my own after I dropped her off at home so she could rest and be lazy like a dog. Um, yeah, so that was great. Awesome. Super fun. Other than that, things are pretty stressful. It's the uh, report card season here and as an educator and a lot of work so you know I spent the rest of the weekend not the whole weekend part of the weekend uh writing report cards and going through all that so that's not the most fun way to spend uh beautiful days when you could be out biking but hey part of life um the Canadian Shield Bikepacking Summit tickets are now on sale so that's really exciting that has been a shit ton of work I can't even begin to express in words how much work it is uh huge huge learning process that's for sure i have learned so much about um event management or event organizing um just all the little things you need to think about and and every day i'm thinking of new things that i i need to budget or account for and or think about or you know um but now it's I think down to the smaller stuff, so that's that's a good thing. Like nothing nothing major, you know, is coming up at least in my mind, other than like insurance, which I haven't checked into yet. Um, yeah, so it's really happy. People have started buying tickets. Uh, that's super exciting. Women are well represented so far uh, within the attendees, which is even more exciting. It's great to see that it's going to be a good mix. Um, what else? The road bike and mountain bike jerseys are now on the ticketing page. So if you're buying tickets to the event, you can also opt to, to buy a jersey. And the beautiful thing about that is that it gets club pricing because I'm going to put it through as one big order. And so we get the a preferential treat, uh, treatment, preferential pricing. Um, hopefully some people get some jerseys because that would be sweet. Now, I also put it so that there was the road bike and the mountain bike shirt or jerseys uh, because I know not everybody likes a road, a tight, you know, skin tight road bike jersey when they're out bikepacking. They kind of like some people like the loose fitting durability of a mountain bike shirt. And uh, so I had that designed as well. And that kind of gives you both options. And they're pretty sweet. That mountain bike jersey has like. I don't have it in front of me, but it even has a little cargo, a little zip stash pocket. And if you do order a jersey later, um, after I've put it through the club pricing, then I think it goes down to the pricing of like two to three jerseys or shirts or whatever, that that price range, which is I think 108 for the bike jersey. So definitely a little bit more expensive. I think that's $19 more. And yeah, so get it now. Um, what else? Yeah, Patreon, 
by all means, if you're enjoying the podcast and you, you enjoy all the things I'm trying to do here within the community, um, I would love your support. I would, you know, adore it. It would be fantastic. Uh, helps, you know, cover all these things and upgrade gear and equipment and annual fees and all that stuff. And um, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash bikepackadventures. And yeah, I'll just leave that at there. And uh, it's a very short intro today, but really interesting because I almost had a chance to meet them, but it just so happened that the timelines would have like missed each other by several hours. And so it didn't happen. And that's part of life. I'll tell you all about it. So in this episode of the Bike Pack Adventures podcast, I speak with Laura Massey-Pugh, one half of the Stella Tandem team. And throughout this episode, Laura and I kind of uh, just go all in on her and her husband Steve's Guinness record-setting tandem bike ride around the world, which is a mouthful. Yeah, so they rode around the world, you know, following all the Guinness rules and did achieve their goal in about a half a day faster than they had kind of set that they wanted to do it. They they were aiming for 180 days. They finished it just shy of that, which is amazing. And, you know, we kind of talk about all the challenges and the adversity and everything they had to go through to to make it happen. So super interesting interview, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Talk soon. Okay. Laura, Massey Pugh, welcome to the Bike Pack Adventures podcast. Hi, thanks so much for having me on. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm so glad we had, we had this. <clears throat> chance to do this uh, unfortunately we didn't have a chance to meet in person when you were coming through the area but that's the way no, it goes close. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah pretty close <laughs> <laughs> and uh how are you doing yeah we're getting there it's felt a bit crazy since we got back um we were like straight into christmas and then yeah it's kind of settling down a bit now we're in january but yeah it felt crazy <laughs> and you know it's funny because stella tandem it took me the better part of a year to realize that, oh, Stella, it's a blend of Steve and Laura. I'm such an idiot. Like, how did I not figure that out? No, that's like, I, I was on another podcast recently and they literally asked the question. They're like, where did the name Stella come from? What's that all about? And I was like, oh, man, I'm going to have to explain it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it was. It was one day I was like just thinking and I'm like, oh, wait, got it. I'm like, oh, I clicked in. <laughs> so tell me about yourself, Laura. Um. And yeah, about Steve too, um, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I suppose about the both of us. Um, yeah, we're kind of both like um, long distance cyclists, ultra distance cyclists. Um, we do a bit more kind of easy going touring as well. But yeah, we've been kind of into the long distance scene for quite a while. And then we got this crazy idea to ride a tandem around the world and go after the world record. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> in a nutshell. wild. Um, our... <laughs> You guys are both, what part of the UK are you from? Um, so we both live in Derby. I'm actually from Reading, which is a bit further south. But yeah, so we're both from like the Midlands. So it's kind of in between Birmingham and Manchester. Okay, that, that adds some relevance to context for yeah. me. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think British people, people will be all good. They are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we're kind of slap bang in the middle of the UK. Okay, cool, cool. And um, growing up, were you, was your family super into cycling or what kind of drove you towards the whole concept of biking? Um, no, I mean, I, I wasn't, my family weren't, but I, I started kind of going everywhere on a bike from a young age. So like I was cycling school and back and yeah, it just became like my method of transport. And then like, I did a few longer rides. I did like 100 mile ride. And I thought that was epic. And yeah, yeah. um, Steve was, um, he got into it like pretty young. So he like from like 11 years old, he was like riding a hundred miles. Oh, and then, wow. Do it. Yeah, yeah. And he did like loads of, um, I think you have Audax in Canada as well. Mm -hmm. So lots of like long distance Audax rides and some 24 hour time trials. So he was like well into it um, when I met him. And I think that's how I kind of got sucked in, as it were. Mm. And um, what did you like? How, how did you guys meet? Are you, um, was it like a university thing or, and what do you do for a living? Like, that would allow you to get, you know, how how many months are you guys off? Like several, quite a few months, uh, yeah. <laughs> to give you that kind of leave to go and do this. 
Yeah, so, um, well, we're in completely different professions. Steve was like a mechanical engineer, so he was like building trains and stuff. Um, oh, cool. He's kind of taking a break like around this trip, so he's kind of house husband at the moment. I'm a veterinary surgeon, so like a veterinarian. Okay. Um, and yeah, I've, I took a career break as well, essentially. So yeah, um, the job when I was in, I kind of, yeah, when I took the job on, they knew I was going to go off and do this crazy thing. So okay. that kind of worked out. Again. And I presume if it's anything like Canada, there's no shortage. I mean, there's, there's no, sorry, there's no shortage of jobs for veterinarians and probably surgeons as well. So yeah so yeah there's like yeah a uk shortage of veterinarians too so yeah there's plenty of work for me now i've come back as well what is trying to take things a little bit easier what is the smallest animal you've ever done a surgery on oh my goodness probably be like a hamster i think really yeah like a little dwarf hamster like a, yeah yeah okay, like right. tiny that's awesome <laughs> yeah it's like get the big zoom camera and <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> that's neat all right um yeah so how did how did the the idea kind of formulate to to do a tandem around the world and uh why like <laughs> why would you want to be stuck on a bike with somebody for months on end <laughs> yeah i know we could have done tons of stuff that would have been far more interesting but yeah um we actually we saw the um women that hold like the female record for cycling around the world in tandem we saw them come in just uh-huh. for lockdown um, so they got like the second to last ferry um, before like the whole world locked down um, and got their record. And we see, saw them do this and we're like, oh, my God, that's amazing. And then we're like, oh, I wonder how fast we could do that. And with it being locked down and kind of getting itchy feet and like, yeah, just kind of going, yeah, if not now, when? Um, right. And then, yeah, we started looking at the record and what we'd have to do to break that. And I think it kind of came from, well... If we're going to go and do it like fast, we might as well go after the record. Whereas mm-hmm. if we're going to go slow, we, we'd want to go mega slow. And, you know, because we wanted to do a world circumnavigation, it's like, well, we might as well just go for that. And then once we've done that, yeah, we might go back places and go a bit slower. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess there's no point, you know, either go really slow or go really fast. But like yeah. just kind of finding that middle ground is, I mean... I don't know. Yeah, it makes sense. Just go for the record or go really slow and just enjoy it. And I, I guess it's really hard to get so much time off too, or to take, yeah. you know, it is a challenge to balance lives and financial commitments too. If you decide to take two years off and do something like that, that's a, yeah, definitely. So yeah, we have to kind of fact that in like time away from family and stuff too. So mm-hmm. we couldn't like just go and disappear off for five years or something. Yeah, so, maybe you yeah. could have, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe we could have, but yeah. Maybe you <laughs> should have. People have stopped <laughs> talking to us. And um, so how long did you guys ride tandems together? Like, is this something you'd been doing for, for several years or was it, you know, when the idea kind of cropped up, you're like, let's try this. And uh, Steve had already been riding tandem. So he'd, he'd already got a tandem already. And I'm trying to think now how long it took us mm. to, I think it did take us like almost a year to start riding tandems like properly and seriously. But yeah, uh, ever since then, we started like mixing it up with normal bike rides. So we ride solo bikes as well. Okay. But yeah, it, we kind of, yeah, depending on the ride, we'd either take the tandem and take solos. And there's, there's pros and cons to both. So yeah, Steve's a kind of stronger, faster rider than me. So um, he'd either have to kind of handicap himself with a, a heavier bike or something, or mm. if you're on tandem, we stay together. So yeah, it works out. I'd, sorry, my dog might bark in the background. <laughs> um, yeah, so actually that makes a lot of sense. And what is what are some of the challenges of riding a tandem? I think I I, I can imagine myself getting frustrated potentially with my partner <laughs> if I was riding tandem. Like, what's the situation like to to getting used to riding with somebody and how I guess how important is communication in that aspect yeah I mean it's got to be you've got to be a team and I can't say that we kind of like always got on and it was always plain sailing but the problem is if if you're not riding the bike together you're not getting anywhere so you Mm -hmm. you have to learn how to figure things out pretty quickly um and yeah you have to communicate as well because you there's a lot of teamwork involved I'd say kind of like more than if you're on two solar bikes like Mm -hmm. at least on solar bikes one of you could go off somewhere or you know you get a bit more space whereas yeah tandem's pretty intense and it's a big heavy bike as well so like the maneuverability trying to get up hills is pretty tough but 
yeah, there are benefits too. So it, there's kind of pros and cons. <laughs> yeah, and and which kind of bike were you using? What was the what brand of tandem was it? And yeah, so it's a Comotion. Um, it's a custom oh, build. Them, so yeah. we're really lucky to get that. So yeah, it was um, built in the US and shipped over for us. Yeah, and did it have the? Uh, I know Comotion has. Uh, what's the it couplings, called? yeah. The couplings, yeah, that's the word I was looking for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that was the reason we went with them. They were the only company in the UK that we could get at that point that had the couplings because okay. we knew we were going to have to box up for flights. Yeah. So um, it was important we had those so we could get it into two bike boxes. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the bike was just absolutely superb. Yeah, an absolute dream. And what was the setup? Was it, uh, I guess, drop bars is my pre- my assumption? Yeah, I know a lot of tandem riders um, use, I think, like, called H-bars now. But, yeah, so we're both quite used to drops. So, yeah, we had drop bars. Um, Steve had some little um, aero bars in the front as well. Um, Yeah, and, yeah, um, don't know what else to say about it, really. (laughs) So so let me get that right. Steve was riding in the front, and you were the stoker in the back. and uh, Yeah, that's it. (laughs) Okay, and he was doing the, the steering, right? Yeah, so he's got yeah the front end to steer and to handle, and because it's so heavy, um, we've got oh, front panniers on yeah. there too. So that's why he's he's on the front, and because mm. it's a custom build as well. Um, he's like over a foot taller than me, so people go, "Oh, did you switch sheets, seats?" And it's like, "No, yeah, no way, I could, yeah. but yeah, I can, you know, even hold handle handlebars kind of thing." So, so he could chill on the arrow bars and just enjoy the views, and all you had was <laughs> ass. <laughs> yeah, so I spent a lot of time staring at his back, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's amazing. And um, so tell us when you started the uh, – oh, actually, how did how did you get the idea to look into Guinness and what is the process there? I know I know. typically you have to kind of look into it ahead of time, right, uh, and put in an yeah, application. I think so. You hear of like a few people that kind of get away with it retrospectively, but I think – yeah realistically to make sure you've got all the evidence you need and yeah it's um it's quite a lot so they send you like guidelines so you can apply like online but it takes a while for them to get kind of get back to you and everything and then they kind of give you the guidelines of what you need to do so for a circumnavigation record you have to ride eighteen thousand miles which i think is around twenty nine thousand kilometers um you you have to travel the same direction so we were traveling east we couldn't kind of go west too far otherwise it'd be discounted for our mileage you need to go through two antipodal points so points on opposite sides of the planet um and there's various other rules as well Mm. like you can only use like public transport and you have to take the same bike and be the same two people and things like that okay Okay, so they had rules about the bike too, so you couldn't just switch up bikes, and if something breaks, you had to no. get it fixed, right? Like, yeah, yeah. So the, the like the bare body of the frame, of course, you can change like you know bits and pieces, mm-hmm. but yeah, the the solid part of the bike has to remain the same. And yeah. and is the record is is there a separate record for I guess quote unquote unassisted versus assisted? You know, like I know was when Mark Beaumont did it he had a crew right the second time I believe yeah and yeah so, the second time he did it it was fully supported yeah fully supported yeah um no there isn't so it's it's pretty tricky um because I think that Guinness say they don't do that because they can't define what's supported yeah or not so we would say we were self-supported but for example we still had kits you know so like um spare tires and tubes and brake pads like stuff we knew we were going to need some warm clothing for the winter mm-hmm. um we had drop points in singapore and in auckland okay um so if you're being really strict so jenny graham who's a female record holder she was entirely self-supported yeah um and entirely unsupported um and she did it all by herself so everything she used was like publicly available to everybody okay. whereas our drop points you could argue that that's not a hundred percent unsupported okay because that's not you know that was to private addresses for example yeah where i've heard of some, some was places. the other end of the spectrum uh, whereas he was like yeah you know everything was just handed to him on a plate kind of thing he had a massive budget out, out the window of a people. car yeah yeah. yeah 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 so yeah we didn't have anything like that we didn't have any assistance on the road but yeah we had you know people help us out along the way yeah um but yeah, everything else we sorted ourselves. Okay, yeah, because I know I've heard of some places like some like events and stuff saying if you're 
it's not supported if you're mailing something, but to a like a Canada Post office for yeah. general pickup, you know, so that that counts. But if you're sending it to a friend, then it's supported, you know. Yeah, yeah, so, and I think you know if there had been rules, we would have done that. But because yeah. there wasn't, it's like there's no reason making any harder sure, why, for ourselves. Yeah, <laughs> why why cause more issues than yeah, needed? Yeah. <laughs> and um, what went into like what was the planning time frame and how long? Like how much? How much did you need to budget to make this happen? I mean, because it's not a short trip, and it's, and when you're going at the pace you're going, you you can't sit down and cook three meals a day. So you've got to be thinking, okay, we're we're always buying lunch, or you know, as often as possible. <laughs> you know, these things come up. So how do you budget for it? And um, yeah, how long did it take to plan? Yeah, um, it was about eighteen months in the planning, like from when we kind of launched like website and social media and everything. And I'd say the majority of that was route planning. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of budgeting, yeah, it's pretty tricky. I mean, a big bulk of it was like the flights, insurance, things like that right. that came up beforehand. Um, but yeah, on the road, trying to predict how much you're going to spend every day, even if you're looking at like accounts from other people, they're usually like people that have got like a lot more time on their hands. So they yeah. could go and like, you know, seek out a supermarket or something, whereas we pretty much have to take, you know, stuff on route. Um, but we did, we did, um, particularly in Canada, actually, we did a lot of supermarket shopping. So we'd get stuff that we could microwave in the motel rooms mm-hmm. at night. Um, and then, yeah, yeah. Um, India and Southeast Asia, we ate out all the time because it's so cheap. Yeah, it's and, so cheap. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah we had 7-Elevens and yeah, so that was pretty easy. Um, but yeah, you know, it kind of got more expensive once we hit Australia, New Zealand, everything like that. And yeah, it was a bit of a hit we had to take. We wanted actually to spend more time camping, which would have helped with the budget, but kind of health issues as things went on and, you know, illness, illnesses, things like that, mm. we kind of didn't get that chance. And so. it's... It's hard, you know, when you're doing it day after day, it's really easy to yeah, say, you yeah. know what, let's just get a hotel. We're going to be so much happier and like mental mindset and everything, <laughs> right? Just to put keep you pushing and going. And Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> and yeah, just been able to like get clean, wash your clothes, get everything charged up. Yeah, we kind of had the facilities to last, you know, like one night completely wild camping and roughing it. But beyond that, we'd have started to, you know, a struggle, I think. So, yeah. yeah. And yeah, it got proper cold in Canada as well. So it, yeah, you guys are busy. coming through at a time of the year where, <laughs> it was you know, if it had been a day. month later, you might have actually had warmth because it got really <laughs> warm all of a sudden too. Um, but anyways, um, yeah, so, oh, I lost my train. I thought I was going to ask you something. Um, uh, yeah, so in general, the route planning, you, how, how many times, like you said, you spent the majority of your time, I presume that you kind of just plotted a quick route and then said, okay, now let's fine tune this thing. And, or what was the, what was yeah, the process there? So we kind of use different things. So, um, uh, a lot of the time we borrowed, um, Mark Beaumont and Jenny Graham's routes. We did speak to them as well. So they, we didn't just nick it, but yeah. Um, so places like Australia, New Zealand that were pretty obvious, we kind of use their routes a lot. Um, it was a bit trickier in, um, india because that wasn't like a set route and nobody quite been that way before and um i think kind of through europe as well so we're kind of patching it together a bit more then we were looking at like what other people had done um Mm -hmm. in europe especially so it was a bit of a mishmash but we um we ran into problems um in well georgia going towards azerbaijan where the um, land borders weren't open so at uh, one point we thought I... we'd be on the caspian sea ferry mm-hmm. but we couldn't get there oh, so no. yeah so we ended up doing um and at that time we couldn't get a flight at the right time to go to because we were to go into kazakhstan we couldn't get a flight at the right time so we ended up going straight to india so we did a massive reroute in india yeah, because you um, had to make up mileage, right? And keep yeah, kind of yeah, pushing yeah. So, east. Yeah, yeah. So we got limited options. Um, Russia was obviously not an option at that point. And mm-hmm. because we're UK, we can't go through Iran or anything like that. Um, so, yeah, we were kind of a bit stuck. So, yeah. yeah, we did a bit of planning on the hoof as well. Yeah, I remember when you first messaged me and you were asking about Iran and I was like, <clears throat> I don't think it's very possible. Like, yeah, it, it might be if you have a tour guide and you're following like, but it'd be really expensive. And I mean, now yeah, it would definitely not be something I would advise no, no. anybody to go to Iran right now. But um, yeah, it's uh, 
yeah, so well, I'm glad that you guys made it work, and because I knew that like Azerbaijan was kind of shut down with the borders and the boats there, and Iran and Russia had a war, and I'm like, what are they doing? <laughs> Why do they do <laughs> <Yeah>. it now? <laughs> I know, and yeah, okay, maybe. But then, if if I think you know, if you waited to the next year and the next year, something else would have kicked off anyway. For sure, so yeah. Like... <laughs> and yeah. So, how many kilometers did you guys ride in India in the end? Oh, that's a good question. Um, we were there like a month, so I don't know the. And I think typically you seem to ride yeah. about a hundred miles a day, right? Yeah. So our kind of average for the whole trip. Um, was 108 miles a day like our our riding days yeah so um the india had quite a lot of challenges in terms of monsoons road surfaces Uh, sickness yeah yeah i was gonna ask you did you guys get any of the you know stomach bugs and all that stuff yeah so yeah we got hit with that in india um and then coming into thailand it turned up turned out that Steve had picked up Giardia in India as well so oh, by the we time spent it... quite a while shifting that yeah because it incubates so yeah. yeah we had got a few nasties in India not good to be behind somebody then huh <laughs> no no I can strongly recommend against sitting behind somebody with Giardia <laughs> but eventually things got better um yeah were there any major um yeah, so, okay, so you guys made your way from the UK, or you started in France, I presume, or you started in the UK? No, we started in Germany. In oh, in fact. Germany, yeah. So we started at, um, in Berlin <clears throat> at the Brandenburg Gate. Um, yeah, because we wanted to, like, start in the continent in Europe. Right. Um, and Steve's brother lives nearer there and things like that, so it's quite a good landmark to start at. And then from there you cycled, um, I guess, down towards Turkey, and then through Turkey over to... Georgia, Azerbaijan. Before continuing on with the show, I'd like to thank Panorama Cycles for sponsoring this podcast. Panorama Cycles is a bicycle manufacturer in Quebec, Canada, dedicated to backcountry cyclists that prefer gravel, snow, and off-road trails. They believe cycling is a catalyst for adventures of all sizes, and that there's no need to travel across the world or to be a seasoned athlete to live epic outdoor adventures. Over the past year, I've been riding the Chick Shocks Fat Bike, the Catadan Gravel Bike, and the Taiga Mountain Bike. From everyday rides, bikepacking trips, and a multitude of races and events, these bikes have put a huge smile on my face every step of the way, while also getting me on the podium on the Wendigo Ultra Fat Bike Race and helped me set an FKT on the Canadian Shield 400. In partnering up with the Bikepack Adventures podcast, Panorama Cycles also wants to give back to the cycling community, particularly you, the listeners of the podcast. By using the promo code BPA10 when purchasing a new bike from PanoramaCycles.com, you'll save 10%. For more information on their environmental commitments or to check out their bikes, head to panoramacycles.com. Now back to the show. Did you guys go through Armenia at all or you kind of just skirted it? No, we kind of skirted that. So we came up um, past the Black Sea in Turkey, like straight up through Georgia to Tbilisi. And then, yeah, we we ended up flying from Tbilisi. Okay. Okay, from Tbilisi. Because I know every country has like weird border entrance rules with each other because of past conflicts and stuff and i know yeah, armenia yeah. and turkey I think don't do armenia well wasn't and, wasn't too happy yeah. at that point so and yeah. we weren't going that way anyway to be mm-hmm. fair but yeah yeah it's fine getting into georgia and then from india you cycled over and through myanmar to make it work no, no. they I, I think that was still looking pretty dodgy as well so when the ladies got their record they went straight through Myanmar on the friendship bridge and everything like that mm. and then of course since then there's been a massive coup so yeah, yeah. we yeah we didn't risk that um and I think there was still problems getting into Bangladesh at that point okay I think somebody managed I think it's kind of like more COVID-y than anything else yeah. but yeah so we, um, yeah, we flew from Kolkata to um, Chiang Mai uh, in the north of Thailand and then came down through Thailand and Malaysia to Singapore. Okay, yeah. and isn't Chiang Mai amazing? Like, I don't know how much yeah, time you had it's... there, but probably enough time to build <laughs> no, a bike. No, not a lot, but it, it looked really beautiful. And, like, all of Thailand's pretty beautiful, but, like, the south and the beaches kind of felt a lot more touristy, but right up there felt really authentic. It was mm-hmm. really beautiful. And I guess as well, when you're when you're plotting this route, um, I mean, one of the downsides, I guess, you're trying to make it as flat as possible for the most part because you want to have speed versus time spent climbing, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, yeah. So I guess it's a real trade-off because I think you lose a lot too because you're like, oh, I've heard so many wonderful things about these mountains and we're kind of bypassing it or whatever, right? 
Yeah, so you definitely you don't end up going the prettiest routes, and like we did quite a lot of the highways in Thailand because they were great to ride on. They're really yeah, directional. They're really, Malaysia's too fantastic. Yeah. yeah, so you could just get places, but it meant that we were missing out on so much. So you know, you'd be within like a few miles of the beach, and you'd know like the sea was just over there somewhere, and you just couldn't see it. And you're just on this highway with all the traffic, getting your head down, and just riding to the next Seven Eleven. Yeah, it's a bit of a shame. Oh, now you have a list of countries you've been to, but that you want to go back to and ride more. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, Steve said it's a bit like having a magazine and flicking through. Right, (laughs) I'll go back and read that. (laughs) But only seeing the top half of the page. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Any any um, close calls, things like that with vehicles. I mean, I assume that. It seems like after 18,000 miles, there's got to be some situations that were a little sketchy or hairy. Or Yeah, we got hit pretty bad in Malaysia. Um, some kids on a motorcycle oh, just no. piled into the back of us. I think I read us. about that, yeah. Yeah, and they, they ripped all the panniers, all the bags off one side. Um, I got some pretty badly bruised ribs, but we were pretty lucky not to get it any worse, really. The, the panniers saved us. They were like really? our bags, so yeah. Yeah, that that was pretty nasty um and then yeah we had like one close call um coming into germany on the way back when like the you know the lights gone the days are short and everything mm-hmm. but yeah that was just uh you know screechy brakes kind of thing and where were you in malaysia when this happened what part of mm, malaysia i think we were oh i forget exactly where we we're about a day north of kuala lumpur because we okay. debated at one point, we were like, oh, my God, are we just going to have to call this a day? And, and it would have been easier to get to Kuala Lumpur Airport than Singapore. But we kind of pieced things back together. Yeah. So. And through there, yeah. I guess you're probably, were you following the coast more? Because it's pretty yeah, flat. Yeah. It's pretty flat if you follow the coast from Penang. Yeah, down. so it's pretty, yeah. it's pretty. I think it was south of Penang. But, yeah, it was pretty easy riding from there. So once we kind of licked our wounds and mm-hmm. managed to get everything back on the bike, yeah, we were like, yeah, we'll just make a break for Singapore and see how we go yeah because penang to kuala lumpur is about 450 kilometers or so riding because i did it yeah, yeah um so i think yeah somewhere a day or so north it's somewhere between there <laughs> yeah i think but yeah it was we, we figured it out <laughs> so how many days in the end was it uh, to do this um, so yeah, we did it in 179 days, 12 hours and 25 minutes. Nice. So, and you guys had the goal of 180, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we were really determined and it was like right up to the end. We had like, um, we still had like a problem the night before and had to get the wheel to a bike shop and all sorts. So it was like right up to the end. It was really yeah, close call, but we were just so determined to get it you know within that 180 mm-hmm. and what about mechanical issues i know in canada you guys had some issues with the hub and um i assume yeah. there's more issues i kind of followed as much as i can but a busy busy, <laughs> busy time with as a as a new dad but um yeah what were some of the challenges with you know when it comes to mechanicals and being more you know let's say a self-supported tour or 99 percent self-supported yeah so we're, we're pretty lucky most of the way around um because Steve's a pretty good bike mechanic, so he did all the bike work, all the maintenance mm. um, himself. Um, we didn't have to take the bike to a shop, um, but just the you know the life of some of the components they can only last so long, and nobody normally like rides these components exactly. for like yeah so far. So yeah, we were back end of Cowden. I think it was Nova Scotia, or was it New Brunswick? But yeah, the um, free hub went. So, I think you were yeah. in New Brunswick, if I remember. I think correctly. we're in New Brunswick yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, um, and yeah. So the free hub went, and yeah, so we're pedaling and nothing's happening. Uh, um, so we had to source one of those, and yeah, we actually got it. Um, Hope International got us one airmailed out to Halifax. That's amazing. And then somebody amazing in Halifax picked it up for us, and we got that sorted. So were you able to ride it? Like, was it engaging at all? It must have been engaging a bit, right? Because otherwise you'd be walking. Or... <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, it, it, it stopped. Um, um, luckily, we were at the top. We were 11 miles away from our digs that evening, or where we, we booked, and mm-hmm. um, it was all downhill. So basically we could free will down to uh-huh. the motel and we got to the motel steve got the free hub out and had a look and um it's a bit techy but there's four little pulls yep. that fly out to engage with the hub 
um, and they're they're pushed out by these springs. Mm-hmm. Three of the springs had disintegrated oh, completely no. in the hub, okay. and there was this one little <laughs> spring left for pushing this one little pole out, and that was it. But he um, he cleaned up and you know kind of degreased it all, and we managed to get hold of some grease from the hardware store next door, um, put that in, and then it literally was working purely by like centrifuge. So by the wheel spinning, it you know flick these little little pins yeah. out they'd engage and that was what we relied on to get talent and uh, we knew it might not work we knew it could like just you know seed or, or it would yeah. just not work at any point um but it did work it kind of clunked a couple of times but it got us all the way to halifax and then we kind of knew we had to keep moving forward anyway because yeah. we might as well and yeah the uh, the soonest place we knew anybody to get this part sent to was in Halifax. So we were like, we might as well keep traveling in the right direction. And if not, we'll just have to figure out. I know. I was looking so hard and like searching <laughs> and trying, but I'm like, it was a very specific, you know, 36 hole, this and that. <laughs> yeah, because we tried And I was everybody. like, oh my God, like I couldn't find anything. And, <laughs> no, no. Um, um, and yeah, you know, we, we were just so, yeah, thank you. But yeah. Tried. For trying. Because yeah, we, we just like anybody we knew in Canada, we were like, oh my God, you know, anybody with this part or anybody mm-hmm. that can help. And yeah, I think it got AML from the... I think it was Vancouver in the end. So oh, okay. like where we started in Canada, yeah, it came all the way across. Nice. Yeah. I was us. going to email you and message you and say like there is a temporary <laughs> hack you can do with tie wraps and you with the zip yeah, ties yeah. and you zip tie your top ring to the spokes, but it mm. becomes a you know it becomes a um what do they call it? A fixed, fixed gear bite. Yeah. And that two people on a fixed gear makes it really challenging, I think. Like Yeah, and it's so heavy as well. Steve knew about that one, but he was like, Oh, I'm not sure. I think it could just like shear off all the spokes. And it probably that. yeah, like, it could that could yeah. happen too, yeah. So yeah, we, we might have tried that had it completely bust, mm-hmm. but yeah, we got away with it by the skin of our teeth. So yeah. What was um what were some of the like what was the most challenging part of the trip mentally i'm i'm guessing my thought is probably as you crossing canada and it's getting wintry and stuff but maybe i'm wrong what what were like um or what were some of the highs and some of the lows you know maybe but better restated to that (laughs) yeah i think yeah the the cold in canada was interesting because it was like everywhere we went in canada there was always this like old man you know long and he'd always like oh it's gonna snow next week you know what are you gonna do when it snows <laughs> and then like the next week we'd meet another bloke exactly the same wherever you're in Canada he's like oh next week and it's always next week it was gonna snow all the way across and it was it was true you know we did get places and we'd get photos from where it'd been a week ago and it'd be snowing but mm-hmm. yeah it was just it became a running joke that it's always next week it's gonna snow in Canada so <laughs> <laughs> well that's why we say that all year long actually it could be the middle of summer like hey next week yeah, <laughs> that's what we figured. That's what we figured. But that was that just became a bit funny. But I think the the toughest thing was like the relentless nature of it mm-hmm. because like it was tough. But like if you've got like a tough job or you know you're you're out bike touring for a week and it's stuff like that's always a really finite thing. And you know you've got a weekend or you've got a break or you've got a day off or something. This was continual for you know 107 well 180 days essentially um and yeah okay we did have days where we were flying but that wasn't really break that was just like Mm -hmm. extra stress um so like you know we kind of started canada and the rockies were amazing we kind of got through that and then we hit the prairies and we knew canada was like the longest leg we knew like for example like the Nullarbor Desert in Australia had been really tough because it's just like the same and same and same day after yeah. day and it was the same in the prairies too it's... you know you kind of you just want something to break it up a bit rather than having to go right I've got to get on the bike I've got to ride 100 miles it's going to be uncomfortable we're going to be tired and we're going to end up in another motel in the evening you, yeah. know, you just want to break that routine and you can't and did you were you fortunate enough with the the winds to to have tailwinds or did you get hammered with a lot of headwinds? Because I know everybody assumes that wind comes from the west, but I talk to a lot of people that say, <laughs> I don't know, man. My entire time going east was headwind, you know. Um, yeah, no, we did get we had a few days where yeah we did have a bit of a headwind, but to be honest, we had some absolute crackers in the prairies in Canada. We we had one day we were averaging over 20 miles an hour. Isn't that amazing? And yeah. Yeah, and we did like 157 miles in one day. It was our biggest day. But, and like, it was just 
the bike was just flying. We just couldn't believe it. And so, yeah, yeah that's amazing. And <laughs> since it's flat, it's relatively flat. The the heavy bike, once it's going up to speed and you're going 20 miles an hour. Oh yeah. It's just going, stopping. you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was an amazing feeling. But yeah, we were so glad the wind wasn't going the other way because I just don't. We do do th- so we pull into like a gas station, um, and we're like going to pull out again, and we kind of missed the turn on the first loop because the wind took the bike so much. Oh, wow. It was like could barely steer it. So we we're like, oh my goodness, we're so glad these aren't crosswinds or headwinds. We just wouldn't be able to ride it. The only yeah yeah. The only feasible way to ride it was tailwind, so yeah, we were lucky. Yeah, and then you get out of the prairies, and it's like Ontario is nonstop rolling hills. <laughs> yeah, I find them harder in some ways than you know one big climb and getting it out of the way. Um, yeah, just yeah. They never so at least end. in the Rockies, when you went down, you went down, and that yeah. you know that was fine. But yeah, Ontario, nobody kind of well, we could have figured it out, but we were like, oh my god, yeah, and kind of just rolling, rolling, rolling up and down and up and down, but. Yeah, but then that got a lot of scenery, so that was, mm-hmm. yeah, it kind of mixed it up a bit, which is good. And you were close to the lakes at some points there, so you could just jump in for a dip and a cool off. <laughs> oh, actually, it was winter. <laughs> Never mind. No, it's like probably 10 degree yeah, water. We, we, didn't do, <laughs> we had a look at the lakes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Wrong time of the year. <laughs> and um, yeah, so you guys left Canada and flew back in. To, uh, you did you fly into the UK and then cycle across the UK before going to Europe? No, we no. didn't do any of the UK. So we we went back to Lisbon and then and we to, came yeah. back up through Spain, France, um, and Belgium, Holland, Germany. Yeah, yeah, so it's kind of pretty do... typical, right, from the eastern yeah, point yeah. of, uh, of, of, <laughs> of, of, of uh, Portugal, right? Yeah, so we actually didn't do any of the UK on the trip, and it was yeah, kind of intentional as well. So like every road we rode on the trip was like a new road to us. Right, a lot of roads in there. That's true. (laughs) And um, what was it like in you know Southern Europe at that time? Because I know like well Canada was pretty rough, but was it quite cold there, or was it more manageable? Was it worse? Um, Um, we had some pretty epic rain, so uh, yeah we kind of avoided freezing temperatures um pretty much but yeah we had some really really torrential rain and we had some really cold weather as well you know when it's wet and cold i think that's kind of the worst mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. um but we actually avoided any snow until the last like day the last ride in where we rode into berlin and the brandenburg gate in this like blizzard oh no <laughs> and like we've got this photo of like all this ice encrusted on the panniers and like people that come out to meet us were just like basically hypothermic because it's freezing i heard that 12 hours after there was like birds chirping and like you know you should have just waited 12 hours (laughs) (laughs) it was still pretty chilly yeah no it was very cold in berlin and if i remember correctly too there was something i remember seeing your posts and like it was like emergency we need Something I forget what it was, but you had like a mechanical or uh, a deep need of something right at the end in that last ten days or something. Oh uh, yeah, so that was the wheel bearing. So oh, they went. Wheel bearings. Yeah, yeah. So well, they'd kind of they got pretty dodgy um, a few days before. Um, Steve got them out and greased them, and again we thought we might make them last, and then they just started grinding more and more and more. And he's like, "They're gonna uh, seize, they're and gonna... we're gonna be like, yeah." And did they we're seize, or get... you got it fixed and changed before? No, we got it fixed yet again. <clears throat> it was um, Hope Technologies came to the rescue, and that we they found us a bike shop that had the bearings, and yeah. So the night before we rode to Berlin, we got the wheel into the bike shop, got them all switched out. Um, got the wheel back in the bike, rode like another, I don't know, three, it was like 30 miles or something, 30, 40 miles that evening. Got in, and like the digs we'd got had got um, a key code, so we didn't need to like check in, we could just go to the room. Um, So we got in at like midnight, got to bed at like one (laughs) by the time we'd eaten and everything. And then we got up at four the next morning to ride to Berlin. Uh, it was like yeah because you wanted to kind of be there in the middle of the day you don't want to be coming in at like 11 p.m when everybody's like ah yeah and because if we'd if we got there at like 2 a.m we'd had problems finding witnesses and things like that and we had till 6 a.m the following morning to get it under the 180 so yeah we're really pushing to get in that day (laughs) what time did you guys arrive 
Um, six twenty-five in the evening. So okay, it's good. Got, it's a good just time. Just under day. twelve hours. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good time. Yeah, uh, it's it early enough to go for dinner still. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Yeah, no, it's a good thing to get those wheel bearings replaced too, so you're not like rolling into Berlin. Everybody's like, "Here they come! You can hear them." And be like, ur, ur, ur. "Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we, that could have happened. It was very close. It would have been awful." As you're pushing but, the yeah. bike. <laughs> yeah. Um, how was it for for your? You know, you mentioned the panniers and stuff. Like, how did you guys pack and prepare for this? And I guess in my mind, is you kind of want to be as lightweight as possible. Obviously, if you're doing this every day and you're going for a record. Um, how did you decide on what's important gear and what's not? And was it just previous Audax experience that kind of laid out, laid it all out? Or yeah, I think Audax and bike touring as well. So we'd ridden in like Lands End to John O'Groats and the tandem before, so oh, we nice. kind of knew what we took then. Yeah, um, and we had a proper like um, breakdown recce trip where we rode around Wales, um, like. I think it's like six weeks before um, and we kind of took most things then to see what we used, what we didn't. But So we tried to keep it pretty minimal um, but then we could have potentially gone more minute but then it's it's six months as well. Yeah. So like there's little things like I carried some really lightweight um, sandals um, and yeah, okay, I could probably have managed without those and just kept my bike shoes on. But then sometimes in the evening, I could be walking like half a mile to go to the mm-hmm. supermarket and then half a mile back. Yeah. And it's just like little things like that that made all the difference in terms of comfort. Um, but yeah, we didn't really take like luxury items. You know, it really was, you know, minimal kind of stuff to wash with, you know, like a bar of soap for everything. And yeah. no casual clothes apart from, you know, spare pair of leggings to wear on the plane kind of thing. And you had cook cook gear or and all that stuff as well, I presume, or um, sometimes. So in Europe, we so we've got a tiny little stove that's like forty three grams that goes on top of a gas canister, right, yeah. and we did have a little kettle as well. Um, but so we carried a gas canister through Europe, and then we ditched it um, once we were flying um, for India and Asia, and then we picked up some more in Australia. Mm. Um, and yeah we were going to pick one up in canada and then never got around to it and then we figured that all the motels in canada have microwaves which is amazing is that (laughs) is that not a normal thing i don't remember no yeah that's right i lived in southeast asia they never had microwaves yeah yeah i don't think in the uk well we don't really have motels it's like yeah so but yeah you wouldn't get like a microwave in a uk like cheap hotel or motel yeah Mm -hmm. so yeah the fact that there's microwaves everywhere was amazing um so yeah, we kind of we had the ability to carry cook stuff, but we could kind of ditch the cylinder when we didn't need it, and then it was just like a tiny little stove. So yeah, that made a difference. And what was that feeling to cross that line in Brandenburg Gate? Or... Oh goodness, it was just such a feeling of relief. We were just so happy to be done and to have got around safely as well, because bike riding's always got like inherent risk mm-hmm. um, to some level, you know, no matter <clears throat> how cautious you are. Um, so the fact that we'd been riding, you know, for 180 days and come back safe, yeah, we were just so relieved and just, yeah, so happy to to be done and to have done what we said we were going to do as well. Um, yeah. You know, we'd said we'd got this target and we'd stuck to it. Um, when we got to halfway in Australia, um, we were six days behind. So Oh, really? Okay. Looked, yeah, so it really didn't look like we were going to make it at that point. And then kind of we made all that time up little bit by little bit and kept inching closer and closer. And how tough was it to ride across Australia? Because I know I've, I've heard it can be it can be pretty tough. Like in the trucks, like the, what do they call those? The transport trains the road or trains. the road trains? Yeah, like... they took a bit of getting used to. And it was a bit so we ended up riding like one night in the Nullarbor. And that was quite sketchy with the road trains because if you get two coming opposite directions, you basically have to get off the road and yeah. there's no shoulder, it's just gravel. So, and on yeah, a tandem, it's so tandem. much more complicated, right? Like yeah, yeah, you can't just bail off. <laughs> you have to be like properly just, yeah. yeah, get off, stop the bike, and then wait for it to pass and get back on again. It's, yeah. So, we kind of learned that. And I think, yeah, it's like anywhere. I think once you get used to that kind of style of riding, it was it was okay. Yeah. Um, the Nullarbor was pretty long. And I wouldn't say it was boring, but it, it was just kind of, yeah, a lot of the, not a lot of kind of stimulation mm-hmm. or, you know, there's not a lot kind of going on. Um, 
But yeah, no, Australia was, and but then you know you'd get near the coast and you'd get kind of great views of the ocean, and it's just so different. Like um, even Canada feels a lot more familiar in terms of, like the wildlife and the trees and things like that. Right. Yeah. Everything, everything in Australia looked different. You know, it just felt like nothing was familiar. And is there a little bit of like? What was the feeling like, um, I guess, because you said you camped and stuff sometimes, like, you know, with everything being poisonous and deadly there, uh, <laughs> were, you, were you constantly worried, like, oh, shit, what's going to kill us today? <laughs> no, we were pretty good there because it was like their early spring and they'd yep. had quite a late spring as well. So we got there. And actually, the biggest problem was like, we were like, oh, my God, we never expected it to be this cold in Australia. Oh, um, you know, yeah. we'd just come from Singapore. <laughs> Yeah. So we're like, oh my god, it's like less than ten degrees. <laughs> and That's chilly. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, we didn't have a warm kit or anything. But what that meant was like all the creepy crawlies, the snakes, things like that were still asleep. Oh, so okay. there wasn't really an issue with yeah, you know, we just didn't see anything like that. So that wasn't really a huge oh, huge good. worry. Um, and yeah, we camped out in the Nullarbor, which is probably like the wildest place to camp. But other than that, it was like campsites and stuff. So that was all pretty tame, to be honest. Did you see any kangaroos and stuff? Yeah, we saw a few, Imagine but I thought we'd see way more. Okay. Um, I, in my mind, it's like, yeah, they're just going to be coming up to you every day. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. And then like the first I think the first day we saw some and we're like, oh, my God, kangaroos. And I was like, oh, I'll be seeing them every day in Australia. And then it took like weeks to see them again. And we were like, where are they all? And you'd see them dead on the side of the road. But yeah, it took ages to see more. So it's like, where are all the kangaroos in Australia? But we had one evening where it's just getting dark and we could just see them like on the side of the road and they're a little bit nuts they like you can't really predict which direction we're going and we're like if one of those like suddenly turns into us i don't think we're gonna win that one they're oh massive. wow okay yeah they're yeah. huge eh? <laughs> yeah. i imagine when australians listen to north americans or or brits and stuff talk about <laughs> kangaroos they're just like stupid westerners like, <laughs> don't know anything yeah, exactly. huh? yeah. But yeah, it's still very exciting. And we saw a koala. That was pretty exciting. Yeah. What other kind of wild animals did you see? I assume you probably saw lots in Canada, but maybe the bears were gone or were they still out? Um. Well, we, we didn't we didn't see a live bear. We sadly saw one dead oh, on the side of the road. That was a shame. Um. But yeah, <laughs> it, probably a similar thing. We were absolutely like, we don't know what to do about bears. We we're like, oh my god, there's bears. And you know, we. I was like watching stuff on YouTube before we went, and we meant to get bear spray, and we never did. But then we never ended up camping, even. But mm. we're like, uh, you know, for us to think that we could encounter a bear, <clears throat> we're just like, oh my god. So we were quite happy not to see the bears. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's yeah. it's it's funny because like my my wife is constantly paranoid about bears. You know, if we're out somewhere, yeah. she won't go out even at night here in the spring and summer fall to go to the garage like i'm not going out there what if there's a bear and i'm like see there won't be a bear around like (laughs) like they come in our yard and eat apples from the trees in the autumn before they go to hibernate but that's when the apples are falling anyways and but if you go outside they run off you know so they're they're scared they're not they're not like a they're not comfortable with humans um but she's constantly paranoid and i go biking and i'm like oh i saw a bear today you know yeah, happens all yeah. the time. Uh, yeah, and you, you hear this, but it's, it, yeah, it was, it was an extra level of challenge. I think we weren't weren't up for, so we're quite happy not to see that. But we saw like beavers and stuff. Um, oh, cool! And we saw some of the massive like water monitor li- lizards in Thailand. Oh, they were yeah, cool. the monitor lizards get huge. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Just like run out on the road in front of you. And, like, yeah, yeah, they could be like like two as meters as long as the bike. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> massive. So they were pretty cool. I'll tell you, um, the, the cobras in Malaysia can also get to be about a couple meters long. Okay, we're glad we didn't see those Luckily, either. Luckily, we didn't see any of those. <laughs> yeah. So we avoided those. But yeah, I think we didn't have too many scary wild animal encounters. That's good. And you saw a koala. Whereabouts in Australia was that? And are they... They're kind of rare to see, aren't they, I guess? I think so, but I think they're in very specific areas. But you do get, like, signs, and we stay with people, and they're like, oh, yeah, there's koalas that live in this forest down here, That's and, you, cool. you you know, you could probably go and find them because you just look for their dung on the floor. 
um we didn't have time to go find them and we went through an area and they got all like all the signs up on the side of the road it's like be careful koala's crossing this that the other so because i'm on the back as well so obviously i don't need to watch those so i started like watching the trees and the first one we went past it too fast i was like stacy i think it was koala but by the time we'd gone yeah I was like, I have no idea where it is. Yeah, you're not going to um, slow down, turn around, yeah, go back and yeah. look. Cause... But the next one, I spotted it in time. I'm like, Steve, stop the bike. There's a koala. So we, yeah. But I think that was somewhere, I think it was in the middle somewhere. It might have been past Melbourne, actually. Okay. It might have been coming north up towards Brisbane. But yeah, it was just a, a lucky spot, I think. But And I've got, yeah. I've got to ask you, I mean, Steve's not here with us, so I've got to ask you about his <laughs> epic beard and... <laughs> How does he keep that thing clean slash groomed slash whatever? Like, because that thing is massive. Yeah, it's it's a real labor of love. And there was many a time he's like, I'm just going to shave it off. I was like, oh, you can't do that. But, <laughs> yeah, it takes a lot of maintenance. Um, and yeah, that was one of his luxuries was he did finally needed to take some beard oil with him just to stop it becoming horrendous. But yeah, considering, you know, what we're doing every day, he's pretty damn good at keeping that thing, like, yeah. clean and brushed. And, yeah, I mean, yeah. he had it straight it up, me. like, corded yeah, and yeah. clubbed. And... Yeah, he has it all bubbled up and everything, so otherwise it just goes everywhere. And but, it's, like, yeah. down to his waist kind of thing, isn't it? It's, it's, like, it's really long. How, how long is that thing? His... It's at least nipple level, yeah. <laughs> it, it looked like, the pictures I saw, I was like, damn. Like... <laughs> yeah. But he, he's had it for years now, so he's had a beard ever since I've known him, and it's yeah, only got longer and longer. So wow, he's very proud of the beard. <laughs> yeah, I kind of like when I saw it, I was like, oh, I wonder what he looks like without a beard. Like it'd be. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I've never seen him without a beard. So, All pictures yeah. have been destroyed, so there's there's no such thing as Steve <laughs> without a beard. <laughs> born with it on his face. Yeah. Um, after you guys finished, were were you like just so happy to be off the bike that like? it almost disgusted you to look at it and think about riding or were you like keen to get back on the bike and get out there again? Um, yeah, I think we're quite happy to have a break. So yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's, it takes eight. It was just, we were just like tired for weeks and weeks and yeah. weeks. And it felt so weird trying to like reintegrate into normal society as well. So like, just trying to like do normal sh- things like go to the shops or, you know, remember to put the bins out or whatever. It was just like, yeah, it's taken a while and then the bike itself um did brilliantly but things like we had um we had a a belt drive with um the kind of belt on it okay it was belt with the roll off or no no so sorry um that was for the crossover so the Mm. the um the belt linked me and steve and then we had a chain on the so we had a normal Mm derailleur and yeah um but yeah the belt that was the crossover the um rings on that it was only when we looked at them at the end they'd got so worn they'd like worn to these like little razor like pieces oh wow and it was just like yeah that could have gone at any point as well because yeah all these components have been used so well so um the bike's gone back to the shop that built it um it's um there's somewhere called the tandem shop in the uk so so they've got the bike back again and they've given it all this like complete overhaul and we're like yeah, that's great. You, you take her and you can keep her for as long as you need. <laughs> and, you know, if it takes a few months to get her ready, that's absolutely fine. Don't right. rush it. <laughs> so, yeah, I think we might get her back quite soon. But, yeah, she's still being um, fixed nice. up. And moment. have you guys been out riding at all or on your other bikes? Yeah, um, a little bit. So we don't have a car as such. Um, oh. And, yeah, we do have a camper van, but that's not on the road. So we don't actually have a vehicle to drive. So I'm commuting on my solar bike at the moment um, and Steve's been out in like a few short spins. But yeah, we um, we haven't kind of done any epic rides or kind of anything serious. Yeah, just, just trying to enjoy the winter and yeah, decompress. Yeah, out of it. Yeah, Spend sure. time with family. Um, what has been, uh, like, what are you guys looking forward to next? Like, is there anything kind of planning just for adventures or... Uh... Yeah, so I think cycling-wise or, like, particularly tandem-wise, if we do anything next, I think it will be a lot slower. So, mm. and, yeah, we're not putting that bike on a plane again anytime soon. That's no, it's that stressful. much of a pain, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, you know, however many times we have to do that, oh, no. So, yeah, we might, um, like, go touring in Europe, for example, and just take it really easy and stop at all the cafes and, you know, just actually enjoy it. Mm. So, yeah, we 
really enjoyed both ends of Europe. So kind of going down through Eastern Europe, down towards Turkey, that was amazing. And coming back up through Spain, France, everything like that was it got a really nice vibe to it. Too. Yeah, so, so you almost kind of did an X, so. almost, except for going yeah, up yeah. Through, uh, through the Baltics or something. And you've kind yeah. of... Yeah, but we can do that. Or it's more so, like an inverted yeah. V, isn't it? That's gets like an upside yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so we could do some of that again, kind of a lot more slowly. But um, we're going to mix it up a bit as well. So yeah, I'm starting to do a bit of running. We're going to go and do like a walking holiday um, later in the year, and yeah, just yeah, do some That's other nice. things as well. Mix. It I, up. I recently heard that like, is it the Moors that was like the last place where people could wild camp in the UK and it's kind oh, of... Oh, Dartmoor, yeah. Dartmoor. That's mad. That's sad. Yeah. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I, or that's, it's, I guess that's so in England, hard. right? Because in Scotland yeah, you can so, wild camp a lot, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's in the south of England. But to be honest with you, like, you can do it anyway. If you leave no trace, exactly. it's so hard to enforce that. So there's, I think particularly in the like bikepacking sphere, so many people go out and bivy because mm-hmm. if you arrive late, leave early, leave no trace, nobody knows. No, exactly. If people are sensible. And, and as long as you clean up after yourself and don't leave. Yeah, you know. yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, don't have like a barbecue or a party or something. It's, yeah. So there's still loads of people that go out and do it, I think. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, because it's, it's unfortunate. And I think like it always drives me nuts too that even Canada, it's like, you know, Crown Land is you're allowed to wild camp on, but mm. technically you're not supposed to wild camp in other places. But, you know, we're such a big country. Why is it not accessible? <laughs> um, yeah. S- Scandinavia does it right. They have freedom of access. Scotland has that as well with a lot yeah, of freedom to access places. Sure. And I don't know why the rest of us are, you know, stuck on this whole idea of property ownership. You know, but, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> All right. Well, hey, that's uh, that's an amazing story. I don't know what I missed. I didn't ask about, um, <laughs> but I, I feel like we kind of got the story, and uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I think so, and I think you asked some different stuff as well. Sometimes it's like, yeah, all the same things. It can be quite yeah, repetitive, good. right? Yeah. <laughs> how many uh, how many podcasts have you guys done so far, or or oh. media talks? Yeah, there's been a few. They've all kind of seemed to come together. So there's been kind of quite a few this week. And it's been good. It's kind of, yeah, nice to kind of keep the ball rolling a bit yeah. and not just kind of disappear. But yeah, it's, um, yeah, it feels a bit surreal still. Sometimes it's a bit like pinch yourself and go, oh my God, I really did that. Yeah. And any ideas for other Guinness records juggling? I don't know. <laughs> oh God, no. If you, if you like watch their like Instagram, there's always something crazy on there. So I think the day we came into Berlin, somebody got the record for having grown the longest ear hair. That's disgusting. And I was like, wow. yeah, I was like, oh my God, that's what we're up against. That is it. Like we could just sit and try and grow our ear hair and that's you, you it. Just tell people like, well, we cycled a tandem around the world and be like, yeah, but you didn't grow ear hair. So come on, come back to me when you do something really <laughs> <Yeah>. impressive. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> So yeah, we might leave it at that for the records for now. (laughs) Nice. All right. Well, I thank you so much for your time. I know you're you're busy and um, you know, probably got a million other interviews. It's interesting how how fast they come and how that all, you know, changes. Um I do appreciate having you on the show and I'm glad we were able to to get this time together. Yeah, no, I'm really glad to be on because, yeah, I think I said to you at the time, I did listen to quite a few episodes on yeah. the back and it kept me going. So, yeah, Good. I'm really Excellent. pleased. <laughs> and was there anything I missed that you might want to add, um, whether it's social stuff? I know I will add links to all your guys' accounts and websites and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, I suppose the only thing is the charities. Oh, really, tell us. Yeah, do tell us. Really chuffed that, yeah, we raised loads of money for charity. So, we've raised like over £11,000 now, which, That's insane. Yeah, it's good. It's yeah just nuts um especially this time of year so we've supported like um sustrans which is like a uk sustainable um travel um, charity Mm. um mind which is a uk mental health charity and vet life which is like a kind of mental health but it supports the veterinary profession so oh veterinary okay yeah yeah i I figured it had something to do with vets but then i instantly thought about military vets as well and i was like (laughs) yeah i think think it's veterinarians and and how did you go about choosing your charities was it uh just things that were close to your hearts or um people reached out and said hey would you consider raising for this charity or something no we chose them so vet life i'm quite passionate about because that's yeah like my profession Mm -hmm. and they just make such a big difference to the veterinary community and i'm sure it's the same for you guys the vets 
can get a tough time so yeah um and then that kind of links in with the mental health aspect as well because it's not just veterinarians like everybody's had a tough time through Mm -hmm. covid i think and i think mental health is something that is yeah you know really underrepresented sometimes but and i think that links in cycling and getting outdoors and then sustainable travel comes Mm -hmm. in as well and yeah we're big believers in riding your bike to get places yeah i'm impressed yeah. you guys don't have a car i i wish i wish we could have no cars in our family but we it's a bit we, tricky when you got kids <laughs> yeah and we chose yeah. to live like in a small village outside of ottawa so <laughs> there's nothing here there's not even like there's no buses you know so yeah that's and, and biking in the winter is doable but tough and it's i think it's 35 kilometers to my furthest school because i teach in two schools 35 uh, kilometers in the winter commute would be quite tough so yeah, yeah winter commuting is but yeah we'll see in the future maybe we'll be able to get rid of one of the two cars and just have one and yeah that's, that's cargo kind of bike <laughs> that's i'm thinking electric cargo bike like drop the yeah. baby off at daycare and uh, then yeah, cruise that's that thing awesome. <laughs> <laughs> all right well thanks laura for your time say hi to steve and um hopefully uh, uh will do. hopefully we have a chance to cross paths at some point Yeah, I hope so. All right. Cheers (laughs) and have a good night. Take care. Bye. Bye. All right. Huge thank you to Laura for being on the podcast and sharing your story. Uh, I'm still mildly bummed that we didn't have have a chance to meet uh, while you guys were cycling past Ottawa, but, you know, that's the nature of the game. Uh, When you're out on big endurance adventures like that, you can't stop midday. Um you know, call it, call a day halfway through a ride and, uh, expect to achieve your goals. So I totally understand it. You had to do what you had to do. And hopefully, um, maybe we'll meet in the UK or somewhere over yonder across the big pond. So thanks again for being on the show. Thanks for sharing everything about that. And, uh, all of it's tandem riding. I mean, it's such a, uh, an unknown to me, you know, something I've never done and experienced. So yeah, super cool. Thank you, sir, for your time and uh, talk soon. Bye-bye. I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me and keep me going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have questions or comments, you can email me at bike at bikepackadventures.ca or go to bikepackadventures.ca and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, bikepacking routes throughout Canada, blog posts, videos, and touring tips. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you are enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com slash bikepackadventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, help me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated, and keep on pedaling.